0: to come and share what you guys talked about.
1: So in our group, uh, we talked about how we defined some of the words. So bondservants in verse 5 means slave. Um, And Peter shared that there is no English word for bondservant or for the for the Greek word, so the translators put in "bond servant," but it it means slave. Um, and then we talked about how. Sorry, was that right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for being my phone-a-friend. Yeah, we talked about um, what fear and trembling means, um, that it refers to um, our submission to Christ, um, that he's omniscient. And um, as we obey our earthly masters, that that should inform how we um, submit, um, not only in our actions, but also our hearts, thoughts, and in our mind. Um, and that points forward to um, verse 8, um, where um, if whatever good anyone does, he'll receive back from the Lord. Um, or um, at the end of verse 9 when it talks about Uh, Judgment um, for um, unfaithfulness. Um, And then we cross referenced that with um, Colossians 3, and that there is. One second. Um, Colossians 3, verse 24 Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Um, let's see.
0: Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Uh, <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so, let's see. Naomi's group went last week, right? Yeah, Tracy. Tracy. Um, let's do, Julie's group always goes. That's what I heard anyway. That's what you guys said last week. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, how about Kathy's group? You, someone want to, want to send up someone?
2: So our group, um, we looked at the observations from the passage. We noticed that um, there is a similar language used in verse 5, commanding bond servants to obey their earthly masters, and then in verse 9, talking about how masters also, um, they need to do the same to them, but they know that they're reporting ultimately to God. So there's like a chain of command where like the bond servants are obeying the masters and the masters are obeying God. And this mirrors um, a lot of the language used in chapter five, where wives are submitting to husbands and then husbands are submitting to the Lord. And then in chapter six, when it talks about children obeying their parents and the Lord, and then in verse four, how like fathers are not provoking their children to anger, but bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord. So there's always this, like, ultimately there's different roles that God has, but then we're submitting to the Lord in that. Um, We also talked about um, what it means to not please, or not, um, to not, I'm blanking. (laughs) Um, In verse 6, it says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. And so, Um, We focused on this passage that or this verse that sometimes um, as workers, it's easy to want to get um, recognition from others to work for um, other motivations other than Christ. But ultimately, we know that um, in verse eight, it says, whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. And then there's a parallel to the other verse in um, Colossians about how we'll receive an inheritance so we know that everything we do is not just for the worldly recognition, but so that we'll be faithful to Christ.
0: All right, thanks, Kristen. Okay. Uh, thank you both for your uh, keen observations. That's helpful. Um, let me read the passage one more time, and, and we'll, we'll dive into it. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality uh, with him. So as many of you have have observed, uh, the passage is straightforward following this pattern that we've seen throughout um, uh, the, the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6. Uh, the first uh, thing we notice is that there are, are commands uh, to the slaves that Paul is addressing in this, in this letter. Um, and again, I think just to point out, uh, that Paul even in mentions slaves here uh, points to their uh, inclusion in the body of Christ as members of, of Christ's body um, so that there's uh, no, uh, no partiality, there's no distinction. They're, they're a part of the body just like anyone else. Uh, we're reminded of, of passages like Colossians 3.11. Uh, here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Uh, we get this sense f- as well from Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. That, uh, that Paul can uh, address uh, the, the slaves in the congregation, uh, spoke to the, their, their value, their equal fellowship at the table uh, before Christ, along with the rest of the body. And he commands them specifically here to obey their earthly masters. Uh, so as, as Kristen pointed out, uh, this is uh, similar for uh, the other commands that we've seen uh, as well in these other relationships between wives and husbands and, and children obeying their parents. Right? So this is a result of being filled by the Spirit in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 18. And he's now elaborating this, as we read in in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, uh, where under submission of Christ, we then live uh, these relationships in the proper uh, authority and submission manner that that Christ has uh, really ordained to take place within the body of Christ, this new community of believers whose hearts have been changed uh, by God. And ultimately, we know that uh, they are to be slaves of Christ. Uh, there's this kind of fourfold pattern that that runs through uh, these verses in verses uh, five through eight, uh, and that puts the, the proper focus uh, on Christ as the slave's ultimate master. Right. Verse five it says, "As you would Christ." Uh, verse six says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Verse 6 also says, as bondservants of Christ. Verse 7 says, as to the Lord and not to men. So these four, like, as statements build the foundation for the slave's obedience, that it's to be done fully in service of Christ. And this is similar to the commands to wives and children. Like, any authority that we have uh, over us here on earth is subordinate to our uh, submission to Christ as Lord over all things, and so we're ultimately accountable to him we 're ultimately accountable uh, to Christ and so is the master is uh, his authority uh, is under christ he's accountable to Christ the husband is accountable to christ the pa- the the parent and the father is accountable to Christ he because he is Lord over all things uh, this aspect of the authority and submission relationship for the slave is is highlighted by the fact that uh, the call to obey is specifically your earthly masters. So calling out the fact that there's an earthly master suggests that there is a limit to this authority, but it's a a boundary that is not just absolute. Uh, There's a higher master, and that master is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this call For the bond servants for the slaves to obey their masters and then the rest of it kind of fills out how that service is to be rendered so so how how is a a slave supposed to obey in what manner is that supposed to take place and first uh, it says obey your earthly masters with with fear and trembling so this doesn't mean that the slave has some sort of like terror before the master but rather a reverence respect Uh, for the authority that the master has. And some of you may have noticed that this is even supposed to uh, take place uh, when the master doesn't even seem worthy of that respect. 1 Peter 2.18 says, "Uh, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And this, uh, Peter will go on to say, is a reflection of the attitude that Christ had as well. So slaves are to obey with uh, fear and trembling, but also with a sincere heart. And the idea here is that there's no ulterior motives. Um, Some some translations translate uh, this phrase, sincere heart, as uh, singleness of heart. So there's no hypocrisy. Uh, There's uh, the same thing that is going on in your hearts is the same thing that's going on externally and presented outwardly. So there's no impure motivations of the heart, Um, his heart and his conscience are clean uh, before the Lord uh, who sees his heart. And one of the things you'll notice through all of these is ultimately Paul is concerned about their hearts. Is their heart really in it? Because Christ uh, can see our hearts, if we're serving Christ, then ultimately it's our hearts that matter. He goes on to say, uh, not by way of eye service, and not as people pleasers. Uh, so the concept of, of going about your work as uh, by way of eye service, as people pleasers, this is the, the opposite of working with sincerity of heart. And so the w- the one who works this way is really only just putting on a show. Uh, he's doing things to be seen a certain way, to be perceived in a certain light, uh, definitely would want to be perceived favorably uh, by man, and it, it stems from a fear of man and not a fear of the Lord. And that 's what uh, doing uh, your service or going away, going about by way of eye service as people flea, as people pleasers. Right? This doesn't reflect a fear of God. it reflects us only a desire to please man. Lastly. Uh, the, the slaves are called to obey, obey, uh, doing the will of God from the heart and with a good will. We see that um, at the end of verse 6 and into verse 7. Uh, there's this uh, idea that it's, it is from the heart with zeal, with eagerness, with wholeheartedness. Right? There's not a, a lackadaisical attitude. There's not a half-heartedness in it. Uh, no slacking off. This concept is uh, perhaps illustrated well in, in sports and in athletics. Uh, a lot of times when you when you watch uh, a game it's easy to see the difference between the people who are playing wholeheartedly versus the people just kind of half in it um, and the same goes for our work. Uh, we work with our whole hearts unto the Lord. so you want to be there you're excited to work you're uh, you're eager to please the Lord uh, through your work. So a, a heart that is um, that is grumbling, that's complaining, that is, um, you know, not fully there is not a heart that uh, is pleasing to the Lord. So that's an overview, quickly, of the nature by which the slave is to obey his master. The attitude with which uh, we're supposed to hold um, But what is the motivation? What's the motivating factor behind this? And we see that in verse 8. He says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Here Paul points to the future judgment of believers as motivation for the slave to work heartily for the Lord. Because Christ will reward us for the good deeds done in faith, we're encouraged to have all of our conduct be pleasing to him. Like No matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, this is true for both uh, the bond servant and the free person. And uh, a verse that uh, was referenced earlier, Colossians 3.24, uh, we this is addressed to slaves in that parallel passage, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So when we read this uh, parallel passage that uh, hopefully all of you guys caught in your observations, uh, we can kind of immediately think back to the book of Ephesians, right? As we've been kind of walking through this, if you've been spending time in the whole book, that word inheritance should sort of spark in your mind. We see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul writes uh, to these believers in the church that they have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Also in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, uh, this speaks to our aim to please Christ, looking forward uh, to the reward. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. When was the last time we thought of our work as having eternal significance? Most of us go to work and we have like a three-month plan, maybe a six-month plan, maybe even a two-year plan. Some of us have planned out our careers for five years and we have this whole uh, idea of the direction we're going to go and what we want to do. But when was the last time we thought about our work having uh, like an eternal consequence, an eternal Uh, reward so the lord promises that there's going to be rewards for the good deeds that we do here on earth including the good that we do as we work heartily for him so we don't work for uh, the weekend we don't work for the paycheck or for the promotion we work for the lord knowing that whatever good anyone does uh, this he will receive back from the lord So that is the attitude that the bondservant, that the slave is to uh, exemplify as a believer who has had his heart uh, transformed by the gospel, by Christ. Paul spends most of this uh, passage addressing the slaves. And in verse 9, he moves over to commands for the masters within the church. He first says to do the same to them. So just as the, the slave's relationship to the master was to be governed by his relationship with Christ, so the master must see their relationship with their slave in the context of the lordship of Christ. Right. He is to understand that uh, he is uh, the Lord's, that he is a slave of Christ, and that uh, he is ultimately accountable to Christ. And so this should result in fair treatment, in, in a pure heart, and a pure motive, as he treats his slaves uh, in the same way, understanding that there is a future judgment. Paul says to stop your threatening. So there couldn't be any room for any sort of abuse, of harshness, of mistreatment, uh, not even the threat of it. This was not the type of uh, attitude that was supposed to be, uh, that would exemplify a master within the church who is filled with the Spirit. Uh, the parallel passage in Colossians 4.1 calls masters to uh, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. But what motivates this? We've seen that the motivation for the slave is this uh, future reward, this future judgment that comes uh, at the end by Christ. What about the masters? What motivates them to treat their slaves fairly, to stop their threatening? It's knowing that they share the same master, right? Knowing that he is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him, right? The master has uh, the same end as the slave. They will stand before Christ and be judged for their works. And Christ does not judge with partiality. The master doesn't get, uh, you know, extra points because he's a master, God judges in the exact same way for both masters and slaves. And so uh, that is the call for the master uh, to treat their slaves well, to stop threatening uh, with the understanding that uh, there is a future judgment by God who is in heaven. He is Lord over all things. He is the one who ultimately judges and he will judge with no partiality. So, how does this affect our lives now today? Right. Has the gospel actually transformed the way we think about our work I, I as I was thinking, I think there's there's a couple different ways we can uh, we can miss the biblical like understanding of of work um, One way to, that we can think about work is as something that's burdensome, something that is It's just something we have to do. Uh, It's a burden to us. You know, we're weighed down by it, and we don't see any value in it. It's kind of worthless to us. Um, We see these, uh, you know, menial tasks that we have to do day to day, and just, uh, they're just stealing our fun. They're distracting us from the things we actually want to do, like, uh, you know, go play, or even to go back with our families, or to go do ministry, and... uh, we simply go to work because we know that we have to. We're not motivated to excel at our jobs or to do well. We, we kind of grumble as we walk through the doors and plop down in our, our cubicles in the same seat every day, say hi to the same people. We just go about it and do it because um, it's, it's what we do. We have a very low view of work, right? We wish that the day would go by faster so we can get to the more meaningful parts of our day. Uh, the things that actually matter, like having fun or spending time with our family or recreation or, or ministry. This attitude minimizes uh, the goodness that is inherent in work. Right, we read in, in Genesis 1 and 2 that God has created us to work. Right, so before the fall, work is not a result of the fall. Before the fall, uh, before sin entered, the wor- ent- entered into the world, man was created to work. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Later on in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 15, says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So from the very beginning, Adam and Eve were given orders from God to work. They had a specific a commission that they were to carry out. They were to work in the garden. They were to multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. And this is the mandate given to Adam at the beginning of all creation. Like To work is, is to be human. And even throughout the scriptures, we see that God is a working God. Uh, this is obviously clearly seen in creation, but even when we get to the New Testament, in the life of Christ, Jesus says in John chapter five that uh, my Father is working until now, and I am working. He's a He's a working God. He does not stop working. He upholds the the universe the universe uh, by the word of His power. He's always working, and because God's a working God. We're made in His image; we're to be uh, working people. And the Apostle Paul clearly states the importance of hard work in Second Thessalonians, uh, chapter three, verse six through fifteen. Uh, but verse ten is are particularly clear. He says, "If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat." You can't be much more clear than that. Work is important. It's something we do that is uh, inherent in our humanity as we image God. So that's one pit we can fall into that work's not that important. I'm just kind of grumbling through it and see it as this burden on my life. Uh, The other pit we can fall into is uh, considering our work would be a worldly idolatry towards it. Where the first pitfall, the first pitfall is a view of work that's too low. Uh, this second attitude right, elevates a career and, and earthly success inappropriately. Uh, sometimes this shows up blatantly, uh, but a lot of times we try to sugarcoat it with excuses. We're we're good at doing that here. Right, we're, we'll say that we're working for the Lord. We're we're working to provide for our families. Uh, we just want to be excellent in our work, uh, both of which. We should do. Uh, we should support providing our fa- for our families and working excellently for the Lord. But we might say these things when in reality, uh, the truth is just we want to live uh, with a certain lifestyle. Uh, we want to keep up with what our culture uh, deems as successful. Uh, so we're willing to pay the price to do so. We're willing to work the extra hours that might cause us to miss small group or ca- cause us to miss Bible studies or we might uh, be working the extra hours, and that could mean that we don't get to serve in a certain ministry. Another way we can end up looking just like the world in this area is uh, an intentional uh, delaying of having children in order to move up the corporate ladder and secure ourselves a new home and a comfortable life. What does that say about our view of children? Like, do we really see them as a blessing from the Lord? Like, how would our prioritize how would our priorities change if we ordered our values and priorities according to what God values and prioritizes? This is not to say that it's always inappropriate to delay in that in that way, but man, if your if your priority is just making a comfortable life for yourself at the expense of missing out on the blessings that God has promised, that are blessings uh, in, in children, and deliberately backing away from that to pursue what you want, where does that say our hearts really are? So how does the lordship of Christ influence the way that we work? These are the questions that we should ask ourselves. You realize that Christ is Lord of your work life, you realize he's in complete control. He's, he's sovereign over your work life. He's placed you there uh, for a reason. He's placed you there with a specific boss, uh, with specific coworkers and specific challenges that you have to face on a daily basis. With that in mind, that the Lord has placed th- these people around you, your boss. When was the last time you prayed for your boss? Now, do you see your your boss as just a a roadblock on your path to success, or as an authority placed over you by Christ? Perhaps you have a not very great boss. Um, I I've been blessed by God; He's He's given me good bosses, but that's not the case for everyone. We have unfair bosses. We have unjust bosses in our, in our lives. Uh, perhaps you've received some of this unfair treatment. Was your first response to that uh, resentment? Perhaps you went behind the scenes and uh, rallied the troops to like, combine forces and air your grievances with one voice and make your voice be heard, all your complaints. I, do you complain about your boss uh, to other people? Like, what does our complaining reveal to us uh, uh, about our heart towards the Lord? It's a a heart that says, God, you shouldn't be treating me this way. Like, why are you, uh, like, I deserve better. It's a prideful uh, attitude to have. So do you complain about your boss to others? Do others feel comfortable complaining about their boss to you what what does it say about you if everyone's comfortable coming to you with all the gossip do they know that you're gonna receive it and join in or will you call them out on it are you a safe haven for office gossip where is hypocrisy present in your work life uh this gets to that idea of like uh Working as like with eyes for eye service as people pleasers? Do we just do like the bare minimums? Like are we only working when the boss is watching, when someone's around? Um, one time at work, uh, this just came to my mind. Uh, I, work at, I work at Facebook, and one time, we' just there's a couple of us just sitting at our desk working, we're kind of chatting. And then Cheryl Sandberg, the COO of the company, like walks by our desks and we're like, you know, you, you sit up and you kind of pay more close attention to your screens. You're like, I'm, we're working here. Um, that wasn't a, like a regular occurrence. So it was like a crazy thing. And you know, there's this pressure to like, oh, we have to look like we're working. Like that's silly because she's just a person in authority, obviously but the Lord sees our hearts, right? So as we're working to, for the Lord, um, we aren't just working for the people to see how great we're doing and, and have some sort of uh, perception that we're good workers when the Lord actually knows our hearts and will judge us for it. So do you work with integrity or do you work with hypocrisy? Ultimately, all of our lives uh, We know that we're slaves of Christ everywhere. We're beholden to him in every aspect of our life, not just at work. This is the gospel message, that there's hope for slaves. That we were once slaves to sin, but we're no longer slaves to sin. That we've been set free from our bondage, and we're now slaves to righteousness. So we ask, where does sin still have a hold on our hearts is Christ, truly the Lord over all of our lives. And some of you might be here today and hear this message, and you may not have placed your faith in Christ. You may come here today, maybe someone invited you, maybe you're a co-worker, you said, your, your, your co-worker goes to this church, hey, we're talking about work at our Bible study, you want to come hear it? Um, the message of, of the gospel, the message of the Bible is that all men and all women are enslaved to their sin. We're all slaves. And we have no hope. We're in bondage to our sin. It has control over us. It infects every aspect of our lives. We can't escape it on our own. There's no uh, freeing ourselves from the chains of sin. It has... uh, it has authority over us. We cannot escape. We're, we are slaves to it. Yet the message of the gospel, the message that Paul is sharing with the Ephesians, he's reminding them of the truths that Christ has changed their lives by coming into it and setting them free from sin. And he did that uh, through his atoning death on the cross, that only he, being God, uh, could do so the message of hope that we have is there's an opportunity to be freed from our sins freed from uh, the penalty of it and the power of it and that happens only through christ happens through faith in christ through placing your faith in who he is and what he has done so that if you would repent turn from your sins and turn to christ in faith trusting in him alone to free you from your sin and from the punishment of sin He is uh, a good master, and that we live for him now as his slaves. In freedom, there is uh, this beautiful uh, uh, paradox that we are are his slaves and, and we are free. We are free in Christ as his slaves. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. If that's the first time you've heard this message, or if you haven't submitted your life to him as your master and Lord, And I would just urge you to do that this evening. Uh, There's plenty of people who can uh, talk to you about that message. I urge you to place your faith in Christ, repent and turn from your sins. Uh, You will find him to be be a a gracious, loving master. All right, let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for this time we have together. Uh, We are thankful for your word uh, that you've uh, graciously uh, revealed to us who you are. Uh, the Lord of all things, the creator of heaven and earth. And uh, we are uh, just honored to be able to uh, come before your word and come together, uh, fellowship over it. Uh, pray that as we go uh, back to our school and back to our work uh, this week that uh, we would uh, remember these things that uh, you have taught us tonight through your word, uh, that we are to work uh, unto you uh, with whole hearts We are to work as your slaves, and uh, we are to look forward uh, to that day when we will receive our reward uh, for the good works uh, done for you. Uh, So help us uh, change our hearts by your spirit, uh, conform them to your word. And uh, we just pray that uh, you would be honored in the way that we work, that uh, Christ would be seen uh, in the way that we work that be, we would be lights to the world, uh, giving you glory in all the things we do. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.